You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A very, very good morning to you. Wow, Modesto. Wow. Modesto trips me out. <laughs> it reminds me of L.A. back in the mid-60s on Sunday morning. And we would say, let's go for a Sunday drive. And this is the way it will look on, on Sundays, the way you have it now. It's like happy days. <laughs> Not anymore. It is bumper to bumper, 24-7 in L.A. It's horrific. So count your blessings. Praise the Lord for Modesto. It's good to be here. Before I pray, before I start, uh, I just want to give you a little 45-second bio. Uh, My girlfriend left me for some Jewish guy named Jesus Christ. (laughs) The year was 1975. I had been here since 1973. I had just gotten out of the Marine Corps, and I met this beautiful redhead girl, and we're crazy. She's a doper. I'm a doper. Boom. And then she comes to Jesus and leaves me for Jesus, and she abandons me. My response, hey, there's more, there's more fish in the sea. Don't worry about it. That's not true. I was broken. I missed her. I saw her. She's changed, transformed. In so many ways, her speech, her posture, everything was different about her. And I admire her, but I thought it would be a face. It was not to be. And one day out of the blue, while I was getting stoned, she called me up. Would you like to go to a concert? And I said to myself, she's back. (laughs) What kind of concert? It's a rock concert. Right on. So she picked me up with two other girls. And since it was a concert, I took all my paraphernalia with me. Nice words, that paraphernalia. And so I went to the concert. And on the way out there, I told the girls, excuse me, but I'm going to get ready for the rock concert, if you know what I mean. And they were so nice. Whatever. I was in the back seat doing a Chichen Chong. And I get to the concert, and it was Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I said, oh, no. Come on. It's a rock concert. We call Jesus the rock. So I came reluctantly, and lo and behold, this is 1975. I was afraid of the church, and yet the church scared me because they looked more dopey than I was. They looked like they were loaded for good. They had some good stuff. Because they were smiling and they were singing. And there was a different, uh, uh, there was a cornucopia of colors. Different societies. There was just, it was an, an anomaly. Even Life magazine said that. Look magazine. They said this is an anomaly. This is the hippie Jesus movement. And I got the tail end of it. And so I was there sitting down mad dogging not everything. 
The message came forth. It was in the book of Daniel. I had no idea who Daniel was. And I don't even know why Daniel got caught with lions. Who was dumb enough to get caught with lions? I had no clue. I had no concept. I've been raised traditionally. I was in the traditional uh, historical <laughs> necrotic church. I was raised biologically into this church, but I had no concept of the church. And I had no clue what they were talking about. But at the end, the pastor, a hippie, who now pastors a large church in Denver to this date, he was a hippie back then, long beard, and he kept talking about why we need to come to Jesus. And he gave several reasons why. And one, one of those, just my antennas went up when he said, and if you're here today, and if your conscience is oozing with guilt, and you're trying to pacify it with drugs and alcohol, it ain't working, man. And I stopped. I turned around to my ex-girlfriend, and I said, that's called shot, man. Why are you telling this dude about my life? She goes, I haven't told him anything. It's the Holy Spirit. No. He's strumming my song, and he's killing me softly with his song. He's killing me, man. And at the end, he threw the net. That's what he said. I'm going to throw the net. I had no concept what that meant. Later on, I knew that he was going to say, I'm going to catch some fish, meaning the gospel catches people. And... Then he said, You're gonna, I'm going to ask you to come up and stand here, come forward. And that's when I said, I don't do that. Going forward, dumb. And I found myself walking up. I was in the fifth, third row. I found myself walking. The persuasion, the conviction of the voice that I was hearing inside, it was louder than my mother's had more authority than my probation officer. And it's more scary than my, than my Marine Corps DI. And more scary than my mother's voice. That voice, go up, go up, go up. And I went. It took me like six steps. And two other girls, two surfer girls, I remember they were crying when they went up. I said, silly, why are they crying? And so I accept the Lord. And they said, now go back over there to this room. To this day, the room's still there in Costa Mesa. Go out there. And so I went. And they gave me a little cheap Bible only. The Gospel of John. Oh, a cheap little Bible. Only the Gospel of John. So I got it. It was a long, blonde surfer guy who just said to me, dude, like your sins have been washed away, dude. <laughs> I had no idea what he was speaking about. I had no concept. It wasn't until a week and a half later on when something explosive happened, something that I cannot explain to you. But I was able to get rid of all my paraphernalia. I was able to let go of things. Profanity was soon taken away from my mouth. Pretty soon I was born again. I was transformed. Now I was able to see things. I was able to understand things. And I called my ex-girlfriend and I told her I want to go to church with you she goes now nah, you're going to get high I said I threw everything away man what I threw everything away I want to go to Bible study with you you're kidding no I want to go to Bible study 
and she thought that I was just trying to get in with her. I go, no, I love the Jewish man more than you do. <laughs> All this to say that I've been married now with her legally 40 years. We've been with her 44 years and five children, adult children. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I've been serving the Lord with all my heart since the moment I got saved in 1975. I got saved, and, and I've been serving the Lord ever since. I've only been a pastor for the last 25 years. Never did I want to be a pastor. Oh, Lord Jesus, never want to be a pastor. When my mother came to see the church, see, my mom was at odds with me because I became a Christian. And she didn't want to come to church. And so one day she came to church around eight years after we had been established in our building and she came to church, and since I talked a lot about my mom, people were, were fascinated. My mom, why my mom doesn't come here? I would tell them she's not a Christian. She doesn't agree with me. There's this philosophical, philosophical there's religious, cultural clash now. And so when she came to church, she looked at the building, and she said, wow, is this your church? Well, it's the Lord's, but I'm the pastor of it. And all these people, at that time we had around 800 people, and, and all these people, they, they know about you? <laughs> yeah. Do they know about you? I go, yes. <laughs> like, really? They know about you? I go, Mom, yes. I know, they know all about me, and I also know all about them. And it's a, it, only the grace of God can, can assemble a bunch of knuckleheads here in the church of Jesus Christ. She was fascinated. Fast forward. I waited 26 years for my mother to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. 26 years, my mom finally came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I was shocked. I was shocked out of my head. When I became a Christian, I, I've entitled this message, Unity, Diversity, but Without Uniformity. But I think I changed the title. I, I think I changed it to put on Jesus glasses because that's what I did for service. It's not in my notes, but I, I use a metaphor that when I came to Jesus, I, I, I felt like Jesus gave me the Jesus lenses. When I came to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came upon my life. And when the Holy Spirit came upon my life, the Holy Spirit is the agent of change. It is the agent of transformation. The office, the operation, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you are born again and you're no longer the same. You don't think the same. Your values change. The way you look at things change. Relationships change. Everything changes. Your dreams, your hopes, everything changes. All for the benefit and the glory of God because God now knows better what you have need of. When I received my glasses, my Jesus glasses if I may, I was able to see differently. There was a time when I would take any kind of drug available. When Jesus gave me glasses, his glasses, and people would say, Ponch, you know, here's some weed. I, I don't want it. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's free. Oh, my. No, I don't want it. Where did that power come from? I never had that. No. Choice. No. When Coke was lined up, there were lines of Cokes. And they said, Ponch, try it, man, on the house. Huh? And then Jesus' glasses were on. I'm thinking, why everything I had to work hard and pay for, and now that I'm a Jesus boy, everything's free. 
See, these glasses told me that's a trick from the devil. And as long as I had my Jesus glasses, I was able to say, no, thank you. I don't do that no more. And the change began to happen, the transformation. I became a member of the body of Christ. I didn't go to ritual ceremony. I became a member of the church of Jesus Christ. And to become a member of the Lord Jesus Christ, all you have to be is born again. And when you are born again, mean you're saved through your sins. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So what I'd like to share with you, the unity in the body of Christ and how hygienic and how valuable, how powerful it is to be a member of the Christian church, the body of Christ. Think for a moment. Use your little imagination. In the first century, the Christian church, as it is today, is a, not only a cultural phenomenon, but it's also an anomaly. What is an anomaly? Weird, off. Because in the first century, if you were to go to a Christian church, according to Paul's writing, four times he tells us in different settings, in different churches, he tells the Corinthians, the Colossians, the Ephesians, in the book, and uh, there's another part where he says, the church of Jesus Christ, he says, well, there is no difference between men and women. There's no difference between a master and a slave or free and slaves. With a barbarian and the Scythian, the west side and the east side, they come together to the Christian church. Even today. In the Christian church, people see that this is the only institution that we, we come from different backgrounds, there's different pigmentations, there's different people with accents, and here we are worshiping. So we have the same fabric. We are born again. You agree with me? We are born again. And therefore, Paul the apostle speaks to the Corinthians about the unity that we need to have. Unity with diversity, but without uniformity. In other words... We need to have unity, but don't make me to look like you. And, and I won't make you to look like me. There's already enough of ugly people like me. We don't want to make people like me. God wants your own diversity for his own purpose, and you become an asset to the body of Christ by the gift that God gives you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your lovely kindness and grace benevolence. Father, I pray for each individual that's here. Individuals like the ones I met after first service. Josie. Eric. Linda. Those, Father, who came in here hurting. And thus we pray for those that are here who come in wounded, meandering in life, a spiritual vagabond, a rolling stone, those, Father, whose relationship with others are just on the brink of disaster, those, Father, who are here seeking answers from you. May the Holy Spirit just fall fresh upon all of us and speak to us. And Lord, as we open your scripture, blow our minds with your greatness and your love. Go before us in Jesus' name. Amen. My studies on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but don't go there. I'll take you there. As the song says, I'll take you there. First, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to just cruise, we're going to paraglide over some scriptures, and then we'll land in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and then we'll come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul the Apostle, in writing to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 1, you'll see how the process in becoming members of the body of Christ, there's no, there's no um, attendance role. Uh, there's no tight envelope. There's none of that. It says here in chapter 2, verse 1, he speaks about salvation. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ. Notice verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what good works which God prepared before us beforehand that we should walk in them. So there you find salvation. Salvation was not earned. Salvation was not something that you created. The Bible says we can't save ourselves. But the grace of God that appeared to all of us, that if denying ungodliness and unrighteousness, the grace of God would appear. I was not looking for God. I went to a rock concert, man. I had no need of God. But God found me. He was searching for me. And at the right moment, boom, it came in. And I've never been the same ever since. Never since. I was born again, not because I was a good person. I'm a good citizen because I got it together because I did my first communion confirmation. I was got baptized a little baby. None of that. I just went up because I'm a broken man. My, my guilt was oozing out of my conscience. For many years, I needed some kind of remedy. And God came in and saved me. Now notice verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, Pancho, you were once a Gentile in the flesh who are called uncircumcised, meaning it's a metaphor for non-Jewish, by what, is, by what is called the circumcision, the Jewish people made in the flesh by hands. That at the time you were without Christ, you were alien from the commonwealth of Israel. You were a stranger from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of what? Separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That's the hostility. That is the anger. He abolished in the flesh the enmity that is in the law of commandments containing ordinance so as to create himself by one new man from the two, the Jew and the Gentile, and thus making peace. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, by the cross, thereby putting to death the what? The enmity. There's a wall. There's a wall that separates each and every one of us. He says in verse 17, And Jesus came 
and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both, mean Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Now notice chapter 3, verse 6. As he explains the mystery that was given to Paul, this is the mystery, verse 6. That the Gentiles, the non-Jews, should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Paul is writing to non-Jewish people. See, in the gospel, you see the enmity and the hostility between the Jewish people and the Samaritans and other Gentiles. The hostility wall was pretty big, not only culturally, but historically there was, there was tribal feuds, sectarianism, tribalism, dietary, culture, academically, religious, ethnicity, the wall was very big, and not only political, and there was also a wall of suspicion. You see it all throughout the Gospels. When Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan woman, John adds to the reader, he says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were distanced. They were held in suspicion because they worshiped a different God. They lived a certain way. They spoke a different language. They were dressed differently. Therefore, thereby, there's a wall. And Jesus, we're told, he broke down that wall that separated us. Where there's no Jew, no Gentile. Where there's no man or female, whether you're free or, or slave. There's nothing. In the synagogue of the Jewish nation, Women and men, they were separated by gender. The Christian church, men and women were mingled together. Slave and master were together. Rich and poor, east side, west side, and those on the wrong side trying to get on the east side. They came to church. And the church has never been the same. What is the, what is the fabric they all have to? What is the commonality? Not because we're all from Modesto. Big Modesto. No. The commonality that we're here is because we are members of the body of Christ. If you're not a member yet, don't freak out. Don't, don't say, dude, I'm not a member yet. I know. At the end of the service, I will ask you the same thing that I did first service as it was done for me in 1975. I'm going to ask you at the end of the service, would you like to have your sins forgiven? Would you like to receive Jesus' glasses? Would you like to have the Holy Spirit inside of you and to begin to do a cleansing, to be born again, to see and feel what Jesus feels? See, when you have Jesus' glasses on, you, you put them on, and when you go on the street, you're able to see people in a different light. You have more compassion, more understanding, your comportment and behavior, your disposition has to be altered radically. It's not because you're saying you're a Christian. It's the way you behave with others when you have respect for others. James says, honor all men. Not all people, all, A-L-L. -L. Honor all. You know what a mandate that means? That means if someone in society is under the ladder in the cultural uh, 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 rungs of society, that no matter how low they are, my Jesus went to the lowest of lowest 
And I, the least I can do is show respect to another human being. And that's a problem. A lot of people here in Modesto, like in L.A., they don't have Jesus glasses. They don't care. They're crude. They're malicious. They talk trash. Character assassination. They backstab you. They stepped on you. Then you're lonely. You're despairing. You're meandering in life, trying to find life, and you're confused. And then you realize, I'm 30. You realize, I'm 40. And now when you hit 40, now you got your skis. You're going downhill. And then you hit 50, and you hit 60. And then you still haven't got your Jesus glasses on. How tragic is that is. No hope. The moment you put your Jesus glasses, oh, my honey, you look beautiful. Stop that. We've been married 40 years. You look awesome. Honey, did I ever told you that I love you? Where's that coming from? Jesus' glasses. Everything's changed. I became a member of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit came upon me. That is the agent of change. And so in every church, you see the tragedy that I see personally. Maybe it's not to you, but for me it is in L.A. There's some Christian churches that they have their denomination. And also they have their ethnicity. I'll go with, let's say, the first something Spanish Church of Christ. So which means that if you don't look Spanish and if you don't speak Spanish, you already feel already marginalized. See, my wife was in need of prayer. My wife had brain cancer. She's okay now. After six and a half years, she's okay now. She has the post effects from chemo, and I call her chemo sabe, but lovingly. <laughs> she had brain cancer and two types of brain cancer. So at one point, my wife, as she was recovering, she saw a sign in a church, in one of those churches. And it says, prayer. So my wife drove in there and security said, can I help you? And she says, I saw prayer, and I want to know if I can pray with you. And he goes, no, only for us. Only for us. Us who? Do you understand that? That is not a church of Christ. The church of Christ is not exclusive. You're not exclusive. I'm not exclusive. How do we become members? Because we're exclusive people. No. Yeah, a bunch of, uh, you know, fill in the blanks. We were saved by grace. We're sinners. This church, the church of Christ is inclusive. When people walk in with a long, long beard, look like CC top. You got purple hair. You got rings in your nose, rings in your lips, drinking your ears everywhere. When you look like a hoodlum, you're all tatted down, all sleeved out. You got tattoos in your neck. Oh, you don't talk like us. You look different. You look like a third world country, individual. And we put up those walls. Walls that should not be there. Walls that should not be there. We're Americans. Some of you were born in the Central Valley. You're American. That's, not, that's okay. I'm an immigrant. I became an American by choice, which is better. <laughs> you were just born. You were flop. American. <laughs> not me. I came to this country. I, I, it was the Vietnam War. 
I, was, I had only been in this country six years. And the least I can do for my adopted country is serve my nation. I served in the Marine Corps. It's good. Oh, glory. Now go back again if I have to. Because I still say this is the best country in the whole world. In spite of the political landscape we're here right now. In spite of all that. It's still the best country in the world. And I say that. You don't, you don't have to say amen. That's all, I don't care. Because <laughs> I travel the world. I travel the world. And when I come back to California, I tell the custom officers, it ain't the cheese, man. It ain't the cheese. <laughs> America. The land of in and out and tacos. Praise Jesus. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back home. I've been around. But the church is very different. And so we're, we're born again. I notice chapter 4 of Ephesians. Now Paul says, okay, now that you're born again, now that you've been saved, now that you have the Holy Spirit in you, now he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beg of you. To walk worthy. That means walking is a metaphor for your behavior. To walk and behave worthy of the calling with which you were called. And do it with all loneliness and be gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and you all. If you're from Texas, and you all. And so here you see the unity, the commonality that keeps the unity is unity without uniformity. This is what I wrote down. What is diversity different from one another? Composed of distinct elements and qualities. Don't look now because it looks obvious. But at the last song when we're worshiping, take a look people to the left of you. And, and you're praising, look at people to the right of you. Look at the people in front of you, and if you have a chance, look at the people behind you. They're all weird. <laughs> but they're thinking the same thing about you. We're different. We're, we're, we're not robots. What church do you go to? CC Modesto. How about you, CCM Modesto? Hmm. How about you, sister? CCM Modesto. Hmm. This is, this is a, a kaleidoscope of ethnicities, multicultural, multi-ethnic. That's what the church is all about. The commonality that we have is there, we're Christians. I traveled the world. I've been to Russia. I've been to Cuba. I've been to China. I've, I've been to Eastern Europe. I've been to Western Europe. <laughs> I went to Mexico. And they don't think I'm Mexican now. I think I'm American. But that's all right. I go to churches where I don't have the same language. We don't eat the same foods. And yet we communicate. How do we communicate? By the graces of character, graces of the Christian life. Kindness, peace, goodness. What up, what up, what up? Is that. We don't look at race. We don't look at the, at the texture of your hair. We, we don't look at the pigmentation of your skin. We, we don't make ideals based on your accent. It's all your heart. Is there love in there? So go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll take you there. I told you that. I'll take you there. 1 Corinthians 12. 
Now, the Corinthian church was a fractured church. So fractured that that the first chapter, man, the, the whole Corinthian church, they were, they were polarized. They were segregated. And someone dropped dime, and they told Paul, Paul, the Corinthians, they're separate. Some people are saying they're from Paul. Some people say from Peter. Other people are saying they're from Apollo. Some people are saying they're from Jesus. And the whole church is a schism. The word schism means schizo, divided. And Paul the Apostle said, uh-uh, you cannot be divided. But we're all in Christ together. There's no difference, he said, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but we're all Christ, all in all. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. So there's unity without diversity. If there's unity without diversity, it will produce uniformity, and uniformity tends to produce death. However, if diversity is not kept under control, it could destroy unity, and then you have anarchy. So we must have unity, but with diversity. And we are diverse. You're from the Central Valley. Other people are transplants. They love Central Valley, and they move from other areas to live here. They're different from you, and you know that. You know that the city folks are very different. You know that. City folks act funny when they come around here. You see them. You smell them. This is their behavior. This is the way they talk and the way they ask for things. You know they're not from the Central Valley. Same way. When we're in L.A. and you come around, we know you ain't from L.A. <laughs> Just the way you behave and you talk, you know. You talk a lot about milk and cows and that. But in the church of Jesus Christ, Paul the Apostle says, you know, listen, in chapter 13, he speaks about love. That the greatest gift you may ever have of the Spirit of God is love. And in chapter 14, he says, listen, if you speak in tongues, there has to be order in the church because God is a God of order. So he goes in to set order. And he speaks about the spiritual gifts. Do you know that as a Christian, the moment you receive the Lord that God endows and gives to you a spiritual gift. It could be the gift of giving, praise Jesus. It could be the gift of interpreting tongue to be the gift of mercy. There's around 20, 21, not exhaustive list, but there are 21 spiritual gifts mentioned. And the spiritual gift is not for your own edification. The spiritual gift that you have is for the benefit of the body. God uses your background. God uses your testimony. God uses your deficiency. God uses your problems in the past. And God will elevate you to a place where you're able to minister to someone. In the first service, there was a gentleman. I can't tell you his name. But he received the Lord. And he got a new Bible with him that was given here. And he came up to me and he was introduced by one of the pastors here. And he brought him to me and and he smelled like alcohol. You can tell that he was crying and he had his Bible. Because, you know, I, I, I came in here. I wasn't looking for God. And, and he's walking away from me. And I told him, don't walk away from me. You smell like alcohol. You're embarrassed because you smell like alcohol. I love you. And he just came and hugged me. And I hugged him back. Because it takes one to know one. You understand? You can't lose that. If we lose that, we become like Pharisees. Ugh. Where do you come from? 
Where's the love? As Roberta Flack and Danny Hathaway says, where is the love that you give? Where is the love? You're a Christian. Where's the love? It's not tolerance. It's the ability to oversee and just pass. And, and you realize that the reason they're acting that way is because they don't have any glasses on. So the gentleman came in here. He's still drunk. He still reeks with alcohol. But guess what? He's sober enough. He, got, he walked away with new glasses today with a new Bible. He said, I want to change my life. I really feel like drink's not for me. He's already making quality decisions. He's not even born again a half an hour. And he's already making quality decisions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I had enough of my life like this. I can't do this. I'm glad I came to this church. I'm glad I heard that. That's from God. I can't do that. Only God does that. And so now he's a member of the body of Christ. We may not like him because he still reeks like alcohol. We may not appreciate him yet because he's not a functional religious person yet. But this is where I was accepted at Costa Mesa. I was accepted. I smelled like weed. <laughs> my, 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 my silk shirts were all burned with holes. Well, that's okay. And yet they accepted me. They embraced me. They accommodated me. Hey, that's okay, brother. Someone who did not look like me, act like me, hug me. A man hugged me. And I have never forgotten. I was a member of the body of Christ. And so we are told here in chapter 12, here in chapter 12, Paul the apostle says, now concerning spiritual gifts, there are five things that we're concerned with. And you can find that in chapter 12. I believe in chapter 7, verse 1, concerning the things which you wrote to me. And in chapter 7, verse 25, concerning virgins. In chapter 8, verse 1, concerning things offered to idols. And in chapter 4, verse 4, uh, concerning the eating of things offered to idols. Now we come to the last and the fifth concerning something. This is concerning spiritual gifts. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, my brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles. You were carried away to these dumb idols. Paul says, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you, my brother, that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now he goes to explain how people have different gifts, but it's the same Spirit. He says there are diversities, meaning different or various gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And there, by the way, Bible students, you see the Holy Spirit right here. You see the Trinity. I'm sorry, the Trinity. There you see in verse 6, God the Father. In verse 5, you see God the Son. And in verse 4, God the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, through the other the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith in the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another the prophecy, to another discerning spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all in these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So think about it. These are only a few of the catalog of the spiritual gifts. 
Can you imagine what would happen in a church when all the gifts of God are operating? You're doing what God called you to do. You're doing what God called you to do. And we're all offering. This is the only place, the only institution that no matter what your background was, you can serve here in this church of Jesus Christ. I was a head usher. I'm, I'm the head usher of all four services. Actually, all, all the services. This is before I became a pastor. And I, I was the head usher. I may be a warehouse worker and a buyer in, in the county of L.A. But when I came and I went to the church of Jesus Christ, I put on my hat. I'm the overseer of the ushers. And I also was in charge of what I would call uh, sheepdogs. That's another word for security. And so I would tell the sheepdog, you stand here, blah, 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 you stand here, blah, blah, blah. Never asked him, where are you from? What do you do? Nothing. So they were under me. One day, I'm going to work. I'm on the freeway. They're on the Pomona Freeway, called the 60. And I see a CHP. I love, I love chips, you know what I mean? I, and so, but they stopped me. I said, I'm not doing anything. Man, I'm 10 to 2. What up? I'm smiling. I'm not. Why did he stop me? Helmet on, gets up, and he gets up. He used to say, can I, have, can I see your license, sir? Right? He says, I stop you because you're, you're very ugly. I'm thinking, oh, dear Jesus. My God, is there such force against ugly people? And he was so serious. I said, sir, I, I beg your pardon. And I'm trying to sign as, as collective, as Christ-like, as a good model citizen, as a civilian that's under control. And I said, sir, I, I, don't, I didn't hear you right. What? And he says, I stop you because you're, you're ugly. And I don't know what to say. He has authority. If I say anything, I, you know, I'm from East L.A. We don't, we don't we just do this. <laughs> we don't argue. And then he takes his glasses off. Takes his helmet off. He's one of our ushers. <laughs> and I said, why, you little sucker? <laughs> this weekend, I'm going to put you in the parking lot. <laughs> All this to say to you that you see that I, you can be a nobody, but in the church of Jesus Christ, according to your gift, God uses you. Everybody can be used. Can you imagine what would happen this, this second service? You know what would happen if the second service, all of you be wired out. You walk away, glasses, you all. And wherever you go, you see Jesus. You, need, you, you will not be judgmental, but you will have compassionate heart. There's unity. I love when people tell me, are you high? Are you high? I, 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 are you right now on medication? That's a compliment in Southern California. <laughs> if you're a Christian, because they're intimating that your behavior is being exuded because you're under the influence of some kind of medication that gives you happy feet. <laughs> and I'm not on medication. It's just that I know where I'm going. As long as I keep my glasses on, life is good. God's coming. Get ready. Teach the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Put on your glasses. Join the church. 
You see, the church, someone said this, the church is not united in language, not in ethnicity, nor culturally, nor dietary, nor creed, nor color, nor by nationalism, but by commonality and cohesiveness of God's Holy Spirit in the lives of her members. So Paul uses the unity like in a body. Now, you don't have to be a scientist to understand that if we don't have a thumb, you'll be a little handicapped. If you had a big toe, if you're missing any kind of your members of your body, this member, it's a difficulty. And so Paul uses that illustration of the body. He says in verse 12 of chapter 12, for as the body of Jesus Christ, or the, or the physical body is one, it has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ's body. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Greeks, whether we're slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into what? One spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now he relates the body. A physical body. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is there foot not of the body? And if the ear should say, ah, oh, because I'm not an eye, I'm not going to be the body. Is there foot not of the eye? If the whole body were an eye, think about the monstrosity. If, you, if your whole body were just an eye. He says, what would be the hearing? Another gross monstrosity. What about if the whole were just a big ear? What would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as God pleased. And if they were all one members, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor can the hand to the feet say, I have no need of you. No, Paul says, much rather. Notice, those members of the body which seem to be what? Weaker. Are what? Necessary. It's like telling your car, I don't need no spark plugs. I need gasoline. I don't need no spark plugs. And those spark plugs go, oh, yeah, watch this. You got all the gas. You got a fancy car. You got all the gas you want. And spark plugs, all six of them, start laughing at you. You don't need us. You need us. You need us. You need us. And thus he said in verse 23, and whose members of the body which we think less honorable of these we bestow great honor and our presentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having been given greater honor to the part which lacks it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you got dressed this morning, did you guys look at your feet and did clean your feet between your feet? I mean, did you, and then you go to the mirror and show your feet to the mirror. 99.9 .9 didn't do it. If you were, you did it. There's something wrong with you, but that's okay. <laughs> but most of us don't look at our feet because they're not presentable, because we have shoes on. What we present is our smile. We floss, we put the gloss on. Because this is the presentable place. And Paul is saying that there's, there's some non-presentable members of the body. There are people that you see here, but what you don't see are people that clean up. People behind the scenes that you don't see, yet they're doing ministry out of their own heart. You never see them. 
because they're not there to be seen. They're in the background. And I see them. You don't see them, but I see them. I'm a pastor. Because we have service at 8.30, and there are people, they get there at 6 in the morning. Not because I forced them. They, 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 they're like the seven dwarfs. They whistle when they go to church. They bring the donuts, they bring the Mexican bread, they have chocolate, and they make everything. For who? For other people, especially the visitors. Because we want to make sure to accommodate them, to facilitate them. And they told me, you don't have to show a punch until around 8 o'clock. I feel like a rock star now. Just drive up. Everything's done. It's not that I enslaved them, that they're practicing their gift. This is the only institution where you pay to volunteer. And then you work, and you don't get paid. This is the only institution. It's, it's, it's like a racket. I tithe, and I, I volunteer. Where else can you do that? Nowhere else. Only the body of Christ. Because you, you're the commonality, you've been born again. And so he says about these this things of, of the body. And let me close with this. You know, the real distinction between Jew and Gentile is always religious. The distinction between Greek and barbarian is cultural. The distinction between citizen and alien is political. And all such and other differences are obliterated in the Christian church. You see, because I'm in East L.A., we have a high-profile church. And because they think that I'm somehow, you know, I'm politically minded, I'm not. They said, Pancho, he's influential in the community. We have the largest church in all of East Los Angeles. So we have political minions that come in from both persuasions, and they're trying to sell me their political stuff, and I refuse. I'm not for sale because I've already been bought by Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray for this nation. But I'm not responsible for the political landscape and the results, nor am I going to talk trash about someone, nor elevate someone. That's not my job. My job is to proclaim and explain the gospel to broken people as long as I have my Jesus glasses on. I don't care what happens. That's not going to change. Me, I've been serving different administrations that I became a Christian. Jimmy Carter was the president when I came to Jesus. I've gone through so many administrations that I'm, I'm already to the point where I say, ah, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Now, let me close this service by promising you what I, what I told you to do. Now, what I'm about to ask you, you know, and what, what I'm asking you to do, it's not something that I have the ability to have some kind of juju juice and say, get up. I don't have that. You're going to get up because the work and the power of the Holy Spirit has brought you here. And you heard it. You're lost. You don't have the glasses. You're not born again. You are lost. You are meandering in life. And God brought you here. Yes, God brought you here. I was invited by my friend. No, God brought you here. God used your friend to bring you here. Now here you are. When I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, I told you it took only five, six steps. When I stopped drinking hardcore, people were asking me, did you go to the 12-step program? I go, no, it was only five, six steps. I, I wasn't making fun of anything. I, I didn't understand that 12 step. Never interested. I like drinking. So I took, ten, I took five, six steps. My whole life was changed. The voice was very intense. It's conviction. It's persuasion. 
louder and it hits here. The word of God. The word of God is active and living and sharper than two-edged sword, able to penetrate bone and marrow, and it goes into the very heart to critique your heart. You feel it. Who am I? Am I really a Christian? Or is it just I'm passing through? But today, you can be sure. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to walk up. I will ask you to do something else. That is, if you would like to receive the Lord, if you would like me to pray with you and for you, would you please stand to your feet and remain standing? Here's the real challenge. I can't force you. But if you want the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want me to pray for you, would you please stand? Whoever you are, quickly, just stand. Quickly. Don't leave. Don't leave without Jesus. I beg of you, don't leave without Jesus. I beg of you. Anyone before we leave. Anyone. I see his movement. Today is the day. West side, east side, wrong side. Young, old, whoever you are. I want to make sure that you have that opportunity to have your sins forgiven. God bless you. Remain standing. I know it feels kind of weird. I know that. I know, I know. But this is the greatest thing you have ever made in your life. It's better than a boyfriend. It's better than a big house. Anyone else, quickly, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to come to Jesus. Anyone else, quickly, young or old, quickly. Anyone else? Anyone else? Don't wait. God bless you. Love you. Remain standing. Anyone else? Your boyfriend don't want to come and stand up? Ignore him. Your girlfriend don't come? Ignore him. Leave him and get hooked up with the Jewish man, Jesus. Follow Jesus. Your marriage ain't working. You're waiting for your husband to get saved? Maybe it's not him. Maybe it's you. You need Jesus. Today is that day. Anyone else? Quickly. My last time. Anybody else? Cool. Those will be there standing. Would you repeat the simple prayer after me? Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I repent of all my sin. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of the living God, and that you rose from the dead, and I accept you into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Put my name in the book of life forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Poncho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Poncho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.